At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Well, good morning. Well, just north of downtown Detroit on Woodward Avenue sits a neighborhood called the Brush Park neighborhood. Homes in that neighborhood were built in the 1860s up to the early 1900s. About 400 of these very elegant, beautiful homes were built there in Brush Park. For many generations, that was sort of the pinnacle of beautiful ornate homes in and around Detroit. Now, sadly, for the better part of the last 50 years, what was once the home of these quaint Victorian mansions, it's really become the place of abandoned buildings. It's been the place of vacant lots. It's become an eyesore, to be completely honest. But all that began to change about five, six years ago. In 2015, that's when revitalization started to take shape in Brush Park. Some would say it would begin with HGTV's Nicole Curtis when she rehabbed the Ransom Gillis house, got tons of national publicity, and many people were aware of what was happening in that region. Then a place called the Regina, a 25-unit apartment complex that was once in total disrepair, holes in the roof, floors missing, has been completely renovated, and now today it sits filled with tenants. And I haven't even considered perhaps the biggest one of all. There's a property in Brush Park that Bedrock Real Estate began dreaming about, about this time frame, and they called it City Modern. If you don't know what City Modern is, here's a snapshot. What they did is they restored eight and a half acres of abandoned land and turned it into 410 units, uh, apartments, townhouses, and City Modern is in the process of being completed and becoming a miniature city. That's the Brush Park neighborhood. And there are still other things that are growing and changing and being developed in that region. Now, all of these things come together. And when they do, what happens in that space is a rebirth. What happens in that portion just north of the downtown area is given new life. It's reborn. Now, today we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that is going to help us see a different kind of rebirth, a different kind of renovation. It's one that impacts every single person here this morning. And we're going to see it from John's first letter, but before we do, let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God of second chances. You are a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. God, as we think of that mental picture, as we might drive through the, the Brush Park neighborhood, we, we would see it a few years ago and it was run down. And Today it's coming to life. 
God, for many of us, we need that type of restoration in our own lives. We are here today because we either have experienced some of that or are craving that for our own experience. God, wherever you would find us on that journey today, we pray, we cry out to you that you would do your work in us, each and every one of us, that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth because your word is true, it is truth. So God, give us eyes to see that truth. God, we ask for ears to hear that truth today. And then humble hearts for you to do your work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to conclude our forgotten virtue teaching series as we've been examining, as I mentioned just a moment ago, the first letter that the Apostle John penned. Now, what we've seen are multiple ways that love is believed, that love is experienced, and ultimately that love is lived out in the life of the believer. That's what we've seen. Now we're going to sort of conclude this look at love by turning to the chapter 5. And just the first few verses at the top of chapter 5. That is going to be our text today, and I think it will be a source of encouragement for each of us. So if you'd grab your Bibles, let's turn there together. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to pick it up at verse 1. Here's what he writes. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, or excuse me, loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we obey His commandments. For this, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments they are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Clearly, Clearly, the apostle wants his first century audience, those who he is writing this letter to, and all who would read this letter, to know this one important truth. The new birth makes us children of God. The new birth makes each one of us a child of God. Now, to be clear, the new birth isn't some random idea that just pops up in John's writing. It's not just something that we just see this one little nugget of truth in this kind of corner of Scripture. It is something that you see John beat this drum throughout his writings. The new birth, he says again and again, and he continues to beat that drum about the new birth throughout his writings. You begin in the gospel account, John tells of an interaction that he has with a man named Nicodemus. Many of us are familiar with that story. If you are not, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, how can I see the kingdom of God? How, how can I see that? How can I experience the kingdom of God? And Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Those are Jesus' words. Then what we see is this theme come up again and again in John's writing. In the first letter that we've been looking at these past few weeks, in chapter 3, the apostle says that sin no longer defines those who are what? Born of God, who are reborn. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's twice in that context. There is a rebirth. There is a being born again. In the next chapter, 1 John chapter 4, we see that love flows from the heart of those who are born anew. He says, behold, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Friends, it is not just some small theme. It is a theme that is significant in the New Testament that we are called to be born anew. What's also true when we read this text When we dig into this chapter, when we look at 1 John, what we see is that he he sees the world very different than what we might be looking at today. John does not see the world in kind of political and ideological realms. It's very different than our world. He does not see the world broken into kind of educational or socioeconomic kind of divides. He sees it very differently. John sees the world as if there is this major, massive distinction. On one side, you have light. On the other side, you have darkness. Those born of God have the light Without a rebirth, people are walking in darkness. Wrap your mind around that picture for just a moment. When you get up in the middle of the night and there's no lights on in the house, maybe the the nightlight isn't working, and you try to stumble your way through, walk in darkness. That's what John's talking about. But this leads us to an obvious question, doesn't it? And there's a lot of people here this morning, when you look over this kind of large group of people, how can we know those who have been born of God, those who have been born anew? How do we know? We like pull up our sleeve and go, yeah, there's that tattoo that I got. That shows that I'm born of God. Now, many of you might have that. I'm not picking on that. I'm just, not, I'm just saying that did not come at that moment of rebirth. We didn't get a, a, a cross to hang around our neck when it happened. There's no outward sign or symbol necessarily. And that's why he's writing this letter. Because remember, the Apostle John is writing it to a group of people who are a bit confused. They're kind of wondering about their faith. Am I in faith? I I have some doubts. I have some questions. Am I in faith? And what John is doing in this text today is helping all of us 
who have those questions. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, hey, I have three traits that I want you to know. For those who have experienced the new birth, these traits will be true of you. The first trait was found in verse 1. Let's look at it again. By this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And that is the first trait. If you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus. If you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus. This is one of those biblical truths, frankly, that is so basic, so fundamental, so accessible that sometimes we can kind of breeze right past it. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. Because when we believe, when we trust, when we place our faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, new birth takes place in our heart. We're born again. You experience new life. You become born of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a believer. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know I am incredibly thankful that you have chosen to be here to worship with us this morning. Church is where you should be, and I'm encouraged that you are. But I want to be very clear. Coming to church every Sunday does not make you a Christian. Coming here is the right thing to do, but it does not make you a Christian. Here at the White Lake Campus, we have a high percentage of our church family who are engaged in biblical community. We call those life groups. Our leadership team here is very encouraged because that's where we believe spiritual growth happens. It happens best in the context of a life group. But you know what? Participating in a life group doesn't make you a follower of Christ either. I'm not trying to be edgy I'm not trying to be confrontational this morning. My desire is to have precision and clarity about true, authentic, biblical faith. And so I do so this morning. Focus on the reality of the text, of what John communicates to you and to me, that a biblical faith in Jesus Christ is how you and I are born anew. That's how it happens. So let me ask you the million-dollar question. I don't care if you've been coming here for 30 years or 30 days. Have you been born of God? Have you placed your faith in the person and the work of Jesus who is the Christ who died on a cross for you? 
to save you from your sin, to restore you into the way and the original purpose that He made for you. Have you done that? Have you responded to the call of the gospel on your life? Have you experienced a rebirth? If you believe in Jesus, if you have trusted in Him for your eternal life, if Jesus has captured your affections, then you have been born of God. Let's continue on in the text. What we're going to find is our second trait for those who have experienced a new birth. We're going to pick it up at John uh, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and we obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we would keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. The second trait is this. If you have been born of God, you love God's children. If you have truly been born of God, you will love God's children. You see, as John has established throughout this letter, you've heard me say it week after week after week. There is a theme to this love, and it is both a vertical and a horizontal experience. Let me break it down for you in a couple different ways. To love God's children, you must love God. To love God, you must love His children. Let me say it another way. To practice the horizontal, you must have the vertical. To have the vertical, you must practice the horizontal. You see, the love of God, the love of God and the love of children are linked and connected and they're intertwined. It is a beautiful woven tapestry of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, our, our church, God's church, is a familial relationship. It is with the Father, and it is with His children. It is vertical, and it is horizontal. Now, I, I know the next question. The next question is, okay, pastor, I get that. I'm supposed to love God, and I'm supposed to love His children. How exactly am I to do that? What does love look like? I could pass a mic around the room today, and I'd get 100, 200 different definitions. I'd get different examples of what that looks like. But I want to offer a suggestion. I want to offer an explanation of what the Scriptures teach us about love. Because I think it is wildly misunderstood in our culture. I think we have moved so far away from a biblical reality of love that many of us don't even understand what it means. So let's take us back to the text to dig in. Love for God is not simply an emotional experience. Let me say that again. Love for God is not simply an emotional experience. The love for God is a moral commitment. It's a moral commitment. In a phrase, love for God is obedience. Love for God is walking in obedience. I love the way Pastor A.W. Tozer wrote about this very truth in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, if we cooperate with Him, with God, 
vertical, in loving obedience, God will manifest Himself to us, and that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the the light of God's face. I love Tozer's phrase, in loving obedience. Church, that's what God asks of us, loving obedience. You see, for the man or the woman or the child who has been born of God, this is our call. This is what God asks of you and of me. It's what He commanded because of love. Now, for some of you who've been in the church for a long time, maybe you've grown up here, you didn't necessarily look to the person and do this, but in your mind, your eyes kind of rolled a little bit, and you said, oh, okay, obedience. Good. I can hardly wait. What's next? Here come the rules. Here come the regulations. I mean, that's the narrative of what Christianity is all about, isn't it? Well, let me offer you my best pastoral response. Yes, but not how you might think. Yes, it is about walking in obedience, but it is not about obedience in the way that you might think. Here's what I mean by that. God desires that His family would walk in His ways, that we would walk in submission to the Ten Commandments. And that's exactly where things get different. You see, in the Old Testament, the environment was to walk in those, in many ways, out of duty. Through Christ, we've been born of God, and if we have been born of God, if we have that rebirth, that renewal, that restoration, what happens in our hearts and our minds is it is not an act of duty, but it is an act of love that we desire to please our God by walking in His ways. Now, some of you would say, wait a minute, I've been a Christian for a long time. I don't understand that. Let me explain. Let me take you back to the text one more time. Look at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we would keep His commandments. And here it comes. And His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. It's not a duty. For the believer, for those who have experienced this rebirth, we want to do what pleases our Heavenly Father. There's so many connections that we could make to a parent-child relationship, to a spousal relationship, and to be honest with you, those things fall short. We desire to please our earthly parent or our spouse, and yet again, they fall short. You see, it is not a burden to walk in the ways of God. And that's why I love that quote by Tozer, because he says, it is in loving obedience that we walk in God's ways. And when we do, we experience more of Him Now, let's look at the 
final portion of our text today. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. That's going to help us see this third trait for those of you who have experienced, those of us who experienced the new birth. Here's what John writes. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John's words lead us and guide us and direct us to one very important question. Why do I need to overcome the world? What is that all about? You see, throughout his writings, John has made it very clear that there are the things of God and there are the ways of the world. There is light and there is darkness. Let me take you back to 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. When we read a passage like that, how can the commandments of God not be burdensome, you might ask? How can we avoid being weighed down by the temptations of lust and of greed and all that the world has to offer us, all that the world tries to sell us? It happens when we find separation from being controlled by those temptations, and that gives us the third trait that is true of those who are born again. If you've been born of God, you have overcome the world. Believer, you have overcome the world. I want you to know that that is a true statement. Many of us struggle to walk in faith, and I'm not trying to diminish that, but I do want you to know that through the power of Jesus, He is victorious to conquer sin in your life and in mine. Because He abides with you. God abides with you. He gave you the power. You see, it is upon this rebirth that you and I have been spiritually removed from the power of this world and we have been brought into the family of God. We have had that relationship that is vertical. We have it that is horizontal. And it is through faith in Christ that that happens, that you and I have been born of God. Now, church, as I wrap up today's message, I want to be incredibly transparent. This is a hard sermon to preach. It's a hard sermon to preach Not because I don't believe it's true. Quite the opposite. I believe every single word that I've said. I believe this to my core. That's why it's hard. It's difficult to preach because I want each and every person who is here today to hear the heart that is behind this text. I want to get out of the way and I want you to hear the Word of God. I want true believers to walk away from this this sermon this morning and to truly know who you are in Christ, that you have been born of God. You are a new creation. I want you to live in that. 
want you to experience that. But there's also another group here. For those of you who are investigating the faith, you'd say, I'm not even investigating. I'm just here because someone asked me to be here. I don't really want to be here. And yet God has an appointment with you today. He brought you here because He wants you to hear that word. And it's hard for me to preach this because I so desire that you would see this truth with eyes wide open. That change happens. That restoration happens. That rebirth happens when you surrender your life to Jesus who is the Christ in repentance and in faith. Today, the Apostle John has given us an evaluation of sorts. In this text, he's given us kind of a, a quiz to evaluate our hearts and evaluate our lives against those three traits that come with new birth. How'd you do on the evaluation? Have you been born of God? Perhaps today. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.